Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are doing amazing. I apologize for being so inconsistent with releasing episodes, but it is what it is. Life happens, and we're continuing uh, on our topic of salvation. Our latest topic, we had two episodes on heaven, and now we're going to talk about the opposite of the eternal possible destiny is hell, eternal hell. And uh, actually, it, it, it was kind of funny because just like hand, I hand out little cards for my podcast, you know, to people and just offering them uh, just the gospel, just presenting the gospel to them. And in my, you know, efforts of evangelization, I hand out my podcast as one thing. And, um, and I was thinking like, oh, shoot, like, what if this is the first episode they hear about is hell? Well, it is what it is. It is because uh, it is real. Um, so we're going to talk about it. So, uh, some say that there is no hell, like, uh, in, in particular, like I went to a non-denominational church in college that taught that there is no hell. Some say that, well, there is a hell, but it's empty. Or, uh, you know, some people say that, well, yes, hell is real, but ultimately at the end of time that, um, people will all be brought to heaven. Even all those in in, in hell will be brought to heaven at the end of time. And some say even go so far as to saying that even the devil himself and all the demons will come to heaven and all be saved at the end of time. Or some say that, yep, hell is real. People are there. But at the end of times, it'll just be obliterated. Well, Unfortunately, all of those are fly right in the face of Jesus's own words, because guess who speaks about it more than anybody in the entire Bible? It's Jesus. Yes. So the eternal son, the eternal divine son, eternal God, he spoke more about it than anybody in the entire Bible. And he leaves no uh, ambiguity about it. It is very clear that hell is real. It's eternal and people are there. So all of those things that there is no hell, hell is empty, or people will ultimately be brought to heaven or it'll just be obliterated at the end of times, fly right in the face of the words of Jesus himself and sacred scripture. So Jesus speaks about it more than anybody in the Bible. And actually first, before even getting into all of this, this is a great counter argument when people say, well, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are two different gods. The God of the Old Testament was vengeful, hateful, violent, angry, and the God of the New Testament is gentle and merciful. Well, I would say that this is a good counter argument because not only throughout the entire Old Testament do we hear God speaking tenderly, gentle to his people, how he loves them, how a child loves and how a mother loves and how he's going to be uh, the husband to Israel and everything like that, how he chose them for himself and uh, how, in love he is with, how in love he is with his people. Not only do we hear all those things, but also he never talks about being in eternal punishment, eternal hell. Uh, Only Jesus speaks about that. Jesus speaks about that more than anybody in the entire Bible. So yes, Jesus in the fullness of time reveals God as perfect love, as perfect mercy. But Jesus also, this same merciful, tender, merciful God, he also has by far the hardest teachings, the hardest sayings in the entire Bible. And this is one of them, the reality of hell. So before actually getting into scripture and what Jesus says and all the re- and all the aspects of eternal hell, I actually first want to talk about a few uh, just aspects of that we come across uh, in scripture and just in the context of our faith. So first things first is we say in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus descended into hell. So what does that mean? Did Jesus descend into the realm of the eternal those who are being eternally punished? Nope. And actually, first and foremost, we've, where we get that from, the Apostles' Creed, when it says Jesus descended into hell, it's being alluded to in 1 Peter 4, 6, when St. Peter says that he, the gospel was preached even to the dead. 
and again in uh, St. Paul, Ephesians 4, 9, where it talks about Jesus descending into the lower parts of the earth. And so this was actually being referred to as uh, the realm of the dead. So before the time of Christ and up until the time of Christ, what was believed by the majority of Jews um, were was uh, Hades in Greek or Sheol in Hebrew. So both of those terms are just mean the realm of the dead. So Hades is Greek, Sheol is Hebrew. And we hear about that in the New Testament as well. So both of these um, is the realm of the, realm of the dead. And there was two parts of the realm of the dead that was believed. One was the bosom of Abraham, which were the righteous, or the place of the wicked. Where we see that the most clearly is Luke 16 the, with the story of Lazarus and the rich man. So there, one is in the bosom of Abraham, the the Lazarus, the poor man, or the the place of the wicked. But both of them are in the realm of the dead, or again, Greek, Hades, or Hebrew, Sheol. So this is where Jesus descended into, which was in English, hell, but it's actually uh, the bosom of Abraham. It is the realm of the dead and it's the righteous that are awaiting uh, the grace of Jesus Christ to come and liberate them fully and to bring them into heaven. So this is where Jesus descended into, not into eternal punishment or eternal hell. He descended into hell, the realm of the dead, right? So he descended into that first part of that one part of uh, the realm of the dead of the righteous that awaited Jesus, the Messiah. And how did Jesus descend into this realm of the dead, right? It's because he is divine. Yes, he is a divine person, but also he is fully human. And so he had a human body, but also he had a human soul and his human soul with his divinity as the divine person taking on a full human flesh that also his, oh, his human soul is what entered into the realm of the dead to preach the good news to those who were righteous waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And the only other thing that I wanted to talk about before getting into the topic of eternal hell was that whole aspect of what the Jews believed uh, before Christ and up until the time of Christ, which was the realm of the dead, Hades and Sheol. And Jesus talks about it and it's in the, in the New Testament even. So now eternal hell though. So we uh, eternal hell in the Greek, the, the original Greek in the New Testament is Gehenna. Gehenna. So Gehenna or eternal hell that we're talking about, the eternal punishment. We're going to talk about the different aspects of it. So yes, it's real and it's eternal. We're going to see scripture about that. There are there are people there um, and we'll talk about like who goes there and we actually don't know who's there and we don't condemn. And we're going to talk about what it's like in hell and will we be sad if we see loved ones in hell, if we're in heaven or and is it just, right? Um, so we're going to talk about all those different aspects. So first and foremost, eternal hell. So let's actually see what Jesus talks about. Um, and starting in Matthew 18, 8, Jesus here is talking about temptations to sin. And he's giving a very clear warning to anybody, not only uh, when you, we fall into sin, but being a person who actually tempts others into sin. So this is how serious it is. And it starts in verse 8 uh, that he, we hear about eternal hell. So Jesus says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And this has also a parallel uh, scripture verse to it in the gospel of Mark. In Gas gospel of Mark uh, chapter 9 verses 42 through 49. Um, this is what is added on to it. So it's basically the exact same thing that Jesus is getting at, but Mark actually adds an extra point at the end. And it says, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So Jesus here is clearly talking about eternal hell, right? So Gehenna. 
And then again in Matthew 25, verses 41 and verses 46, and the whole context is Jesus talking about the end of times and Jesus is going to come back and it's going to be the judgment of the nations. On his left will be the goats and on his right will be the sheep. The sheep are those who enter life and those are the ones who clothed him, fed him, gave him drink, uh, visited him when he was in prison because uh, what we did to the least of the brothers here that we see here on earth, we did it to Christ himself. And so we hear in verses, in verse 41, talking Jesus talking about those on his left, the goats. And this is what he says. Then he will say to those at his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the angels. And later on in verse 46 to end it, it says that they will go away and uh, that those who, uh, those were on his left will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous, those on his right, the sheep, will go into eternal life. So Jesus is here being very clear that hell is eternal, it's real, and people go there. And then when we move into the letters of St. Paul, he, and again, like this is only talking, these are only the scripture verses that is clear where it's eternal hell, right? So uh, not just hell, but eternal hell. It's very clear that scripture is talking about eternal. Later on, we're going to talk about all the other scripture verses that talk about hell as well. But these are the ones that are talking about eternal. Um, And this is St. Paul in his letter to the second Thessalonians in uh, chapter one, verse nine. In the whole context, he's talking about the judgment at Christ's coming. And we'll start at verse six, going all the way down to verse nine. And it says this, since indeed God deems it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant rest with us to you who are afflicted, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance upon those who do not know God and upon those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they shall suffer the punishment of eternal destruction and exclusion from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So here we see St. Paul being clear that it's uh, eternal for one. And also he adds the little bit of what it's like. It's eternal It's eternal exclusion from the presence of Jesus. And then in Jude 7, this is the letter from St. Jude, uh, right before the last book of the Bible of Revelation. And it's only one, it's all one chapter. So it's verse 7 that he talks specifically about eternal uh, fire, eternal hell. But the whole context is judgment on the the ungodly. And I'll start in verse 6 going through verse 7. He says this, And the angels that did not keep their own position, but left their proper dwelling, have been kept by him in eternal chains in the deepest darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise acted immorally and indulged in unnatural lust, serve in his example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So it's very clear, again, eternal fire, and it's a warning to all of us, uh, uh, specifically in this context, was sexual immorality, sexual sin. And then lastly, in Revelation 14, 11, and in here, St. John is seeing uh, just the reality of heaven and judgment. And in specifically in verse, uh, verse 11 of chapter 14, it says this, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers, worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So here he's talking about those who are obviously judged to eternal hell. He's talking about it lasting forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. So it's everlasting. And then again, later on at uh, chapter 20 of Revelation in verse 10, it specifically says, The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire 
and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So here, uh, specifically, he's talking about Satan and all their demons uh, doomed to being um, placed in eternal hell. But also that is, uh, it talks about the dead are judged as well. And at the end of time, and it's talking about later on, like specifically in verses 14 and 15, talks about the second death. So the second death is eternal death, which is eternal hell when all of our bodies are raised at the end of time and the righteous go and uh, to be joined with their souls in heaven and the unrighteous go uh, with their bodies to meet their souls in eternal hell. So, and it's called the, the lake of fire, as it said in verse 15. And again, in chapter 21, verse 8, where it talks about how it's the faithless, the polluted, the cowardly, the murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their lot shall be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So again, here it is very clear that Jesus and sacred scripture is very clear that hell is eternal, it's real, and people are there. So, uh, what what's the is it a place or a state well there is no definitive teaching on it but for, it seems like it is a state of your soul after you die so if somebody is in hell it's the state of their soul but it also does seem to be a place because at the end of time we're going to be reunited with our bodies and if our bodies are there taking up physical space like our bodies do it seems like it actually would be a place right so uh, the next question is, who goes there? So we don't know who specifically is there. The church will actually never make a statement of who is in hell because we are called, as Jesus tells us to, to judge with right judgment. We judge actions and not hearts. So because God's mercy can reach anybody and um, we are not supposed to be on the side of actually saying who's in hell and who is not. We can rightly say that is a hell-worthy action. But the first and foremost is that God's mercy can reach anybody and God himself doesn't send anybody to hell like it was against somebody's will. People choose hell because sin deserves hell, eternal separation from hell. And we're going to talk about what actually hell is. But it's very clear from sacred scripture that God himself doesn't will anybody. He doesn't eternally destined against somebody's free will to go to hell. First John 2, 2, it says, he is Jesus' expiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world, for the whole world. St. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-6, through 6, it says, God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And then 2 Peter 3, 9, St. Peter says, God is forbearing toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should re reach repentance. So it's very clear that God's will and the grace of Jesus is offered to every single person throughout their life. So uh, God desire, desire his, uh, his will, his direct will is that everybody would be saved. But not everybody off, uh, accepts that offer of forgiveness, offer of, of repentance, and offer of mercy, and offer of God's love. And this is actually what Jesus calls the sin against the Holy Spirit. So we, we hear um, how in Matthew 12, 31, Mark 3, 29, and Luke 12, 10, Jesus talks about how those who blaspheme against the Son can be forgiven, but those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is, will never be forgiven in the, this age or in the age to the or in the age to come. Why? Because the work of the Spirit we know is partly the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin, 
Jesus says this in John 16, 8. So Jesus is telling us that the, one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin, the reality of sin. And so the unforgivable sin is when we work against the Holy Spirit and therefore we never repent. I never sin. I'm perfect. I'm fine. Or, uh, you know, I, I know that this is wrong. And this is, what, this is what a mortal sin is. When it's grave matter, we know it's wrong. So we're culpable of it. We actually know that it's wrong and we do it anyways because we don't care. We don't want God, right? So that's the unforgivable sin is when we don't allow what God has given us by the what he has given us in our in our reason and our faith. Uh, if we work deliberately against that because we don't want it, we just want our own selves, well, that's the sin against the Holy Spirit. So it's the human will that chooses hell. Well, and we learned how to do, how do we get to heaven? By grace, by receiving God's love to participate in God's love, right? But everybody is saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Anybody in heaven is saved by Jesus. But not everybody has heard the gospel of Jesus and the truth of the Catholic Church and every single thing that the church teaches, right? So God looks at our consciences and our culpability. What has been given to us, right? So somebody who is living in the Middle East or living in the Eastern part of the world who has never heard the gospel of Jesus and they simply are trying to work with, the, they're trying to live a good truth and follow the truth that they have, that God has placed them with, well, they can be saved because they're working towards, and it's our, it's already a preparation for the gospel, right? So Jesus Christ can save them. So really to summarize and to make it simple, who's in hell? It's people who deliberately do, deliberately choose against God. They make something else other than God as their ultimate life end, and they, uh, they even know the truth, and they go exactly against it. And coming with the fullness of revelation in Jesus Christ given to the apostles and to the church and in sacred scripture, we know that there basically any that all things that are immoral are actions that we do that are contrary to the purpose or to go against the natural order, the natural uh, end of what God has given us when we go contrary to that. So uh, for example, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-10, through 10, and in Galatians 5, 21, he lists a litany of sins that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so here we go in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. through 10, He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. So he's telling Christians, stop playing around acting like like once saved, always saved. <laughs> These things will go, it goes contrary to natural law and natural order and the gospel of Jesus Christ and will place us in hell. And again, just to be clear, St. Paul here is not talking about people's feelings because all of our emotions and feelings uh, can a lot of times be contrary to reason and we can't, can't oftentimes control them. They're outside of our control. It's just our reactions and our bodies is, uh, reacting in our emotions, specifically in a fallen world. But it's people who do these things that know that it's wrong and still do it and they don't care. They just want to do what they themselves want to do. And again, St. Paul in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19 through 21, he says, Now the works of the flesh are plain, immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, it's actually better translated if it's uh, heresy, and envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So St. Paul, just as Jesus, warns all of us to not play around with sin, to take it very, very seriously. Sin is contrary to your good. See, sin is beneath your dignity, beneath my de- my dignity. The way that I like to uh, de- define sin is when we choose to do something that's beneath our dignity, to settle for something that we know that we uh, we deserve more for, right? So we settle for less, right? And we still do it. We just act out of our pride our in our in our envy. So, and Jesus talks about, uh, he's very clear to not play around with sin, right? So Matthew 5, 22, he talks about how those who uh, call their brother a fool or raka or anything like this, these slander terms, like we shall be liable to Gehenna, eternal hell. And later on in that same chapter, we heard it before when he talks about how if anything causes you to sin, your arm, your eye, pluck it out, cut it off. Because it'd be better for you to enter into heaven with those things missing than to go into eternal hell uh, with all of those members. And so, again, this is hyperbole. Jesus is not telling us to actually physically harm our bodies like that. He's talking about if anything is even a slight temptation to sin, then cut it off. Stop playing with fire, right? And in Matthew 10, verse 28 and Luke 12, 5, He says that do not fear those who kill the body, but fear who can throw the body and soul into Gehenna. And in Matthew 13, 42, uh, Jesus talks about the wheat and the weeds are thrown into the, the weeds are being thrown into the furnace. And then the wheat is gathered into the kingdom. And in Matthew 23, 15 and 33, Jesus here is specifically talking about to the scribes and the Pharisees. So who's he talking about? Really? Who's he talking about? People in authority, people who in leadership, people who uh, say one thing and, don't, and do another, or people who lead people astray. People, he calls them hypocrites. And he says that you actually make children even worse than yourself. You make them children of hell. So he talks about uh, those who are leaders and, and authority and a place of responsibility who abuse that or are hypocrites or who, or who do not become all things to all men that they might save some, like St. Paul says, we're liable to hell. And then in James, uh, the letter of James, in chapter 3, verse 6, he talks about the tongue is a fire set on fire by hell, right? So he's talking about the the, the power of our tongue that blesses and curses and we curse uh, people. And it's contrary to the gospel. So Jesus is taught, it's very clear in sacred scripture. Jesus and the apostles is, are telling us to stop playing around with sin. It's very serious. And we see really the reality of sin when we look at the crucifix. That's what my sin did. Killed God. <laughs> Killed God because I was that separated from him. Nothing could bring me back to him except grace, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So uh, hell is very real. Sin is very real. Stop playing around with it. It's beneath your dignity, right? So uh, what is it like? So remember, heaven is union with with reality itself. Sheer goodness, sheer power, sheer love, beauty and truth. God himself, perfect, full union in the beatific vision with God himself. So eternal hell is really the opposite of that. Yes, there's actual punishments that are involved, but the first and foremost, the very worst punishment is actually being separated from, from God himself. Our, what we were made from and who are, we are made for, right? Is, it's eternal separation from them. Now, to get technical, if hell is a place, 
and it seems like it is, especially at the end of time when we have our bodies, well, then technically God himself is holding it in existence because he is existence itself and anything that's existing, God himself is sustaining it, right? So yes, uh, the relation to God of hell is that it exists and therefore God is holding it in existence, but spiritually we are separated from God for all eternity in hell. So uh, that's the first and worst agony, right? So I'm going to now actually read uh, uh, an excerpt from St. Catherine of Siena, her dialogue with the Father, who God the Father speaks to her talking about the four torments of hell. So this is just to further illustrate. Now, this is private revelation, so it's not church teaching, it's not in sacred scripture, but it seems very consistent with scripture and tradition, and I think it further illustrates the, the horrible reality of hell. So, Uh, God the Father speaks to St. Catherine of Siena talking about the four torments of hell. The first one is that we already talked about. It says, God the Father says, the first is that these souls are deprived of seeing me. So this is the worst of it all. He says, this is so painful for them that that if they could, they would choose the sight of me along with the fire and excruciating torments rather than freedom from their pains without seeing me. So that's the first one. The second torment, he says, is ceaseless regret and agonizing about what has been lost. So what has been lost is actually uh, God, all the angels and saints. So, um, and then just as in life, all knowledge of the supernatural realities is significantly veiled. And then after death, the veil is removed, so to speak. So both evil and good after death are actually seen for what they really are. So we actually see them. We see all of God's plan. We see the reality of good versus evil. Um, And this is the third, is that the suffering is even worse because they see the devil as he really is, more horrible than the human heart can imagine. So this third torment is actually seeing the devil and evil for what he really is and for what evil really is. It's worse than anything that we can imagine. And then the fourth torment is the ceaseless burning of an immaterial fire that has as many forms as the forms of the sins that were committed. In other words, all the evil deeds that went unrepented and we uh, did in hell will experience all those things on a whole nother level. So this is actually what it says, that they will be engulfed in all the filth of the earth in as many different ways as their evil deeds were different. The misers will be plunged in the filth of avarice, engulfed at once in the burning fire and in the goods of the world that they loved inordinately. The violent will be engulfed in cruelty, the indecent in indecency and wretched lust, the unjust in their own injustice, the envious in envy, and those who are hateful and bitter towards their neighbors will be engulfed in hate. Their disordered love for themselves, out of which grew all their wickedness, will burn and torture them intolerably. For along with pride, it is the head and source of all evil. So will they all be differently punished, soul and body together. So it is very, uh, the the reality of the punishment, the reality of the sufferings of hell are unimaginable. And God the Father here, and also in a lot of the apparitions of Mary, shows us uh, the reality of hell, that people are going there, it exists, and um to truly repent, fast, pray, live a life in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Spirit of God every single day, not out of fear, but out of love for God. But this is just the reality of, of hell. When we reject God, we reject his plan, we reject his will, this is what happens. So um, so what about if though if we're in heaven, but we see 
our loved ones in hell, will we be sad? Well, we know from sacred scripture and revelation that those who are in heaven, all their tears will be wiped away. There will be no, there will be no sorrow. There will be no crying. There will be no uh, regret. There will be nothing. It will be perfect love. So we know that we will not be sad. Well, how can that be if we see loved ones in hell? Well, because when we see, when we die and we are in the presence of God, specifically in heaven, we know all of human history. We know all of God's plans. We see all perfect justice, perfect love, perfect mercy. So when we see from God's perspective in the reality, we're going to be the happiest ever. And we're going to see that even those that are uh, those who are in hell, it's actually just. And actually, in a sense, it's even merciful. It's even merciful. Now, I do have another podcast episode that I'll put in the link where they talk about if hell is just. It's a Catholic Answers Focus episode. That'll be great. Um, and there'll actually be another link to uh, to an article from Catholic Answers about what is hell to go into more of all this. But uh, it's actually kind of a mercy, right? Think about the people who are offered to go somewhere and they're like, I don't even want to go. So people who want to go like, hey, you want to come to come to church? Heck no, I never even want to step into a church. Well, it's kind of the same thing because we offer something and people can freely reject it. So it's the same thing. And we're not going to force ourselves on them, right? So God, the Father, is never going to uh, force himself upon anybody. So it's people choosing. And at the time of death, we have made our final decision the way that we lived up until that. And if we had unrepented mortal sin where we think we know that it was wrong and we still did it and we don't care, this is what happens because we choose it. We choose it. Do we want God's plan or our plan? Well, is eternal punishment just at all though? Is it? Is it? Is there justice in it? Well, yes, there is. Because it's an eternal God who has an eternal law, which is based on love. And we actually are eternal beings, not in the same God that, not in the same sense that God is because he doesn't have a, a beginning. We have a beginning, but also it, we know that we will last forever right? So like our sins, it harms an eternal God that is, has, has an eternal law of love. And we sin against also eternal people and even against ourselves. So the eternal reality of hell is just. So we have a choice and God is offering us eternal life. Will we accept it? Will we embrace it? And this eternal life is impossible, right? Uh, I've been thinking about doing another episode lately, but you know how Jesus talks about how those who enter in the kingdom of heaven, it's actually harder for a, it's actually harder for them to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to enter the eye of a needle. Well, for me, when I was having my conversion, I'm sure a lot of us are still trying to figure out, could we fit that camel into that needle? No, what Jesus is saying is that it's impossible. We need the grace of God. We need the grace of Jesus. And so uh, Jesus is offering the impossible to us. Will we receive and accept and repent and to walk with him and in, in, in faith, hope, and love in Jesus? Or will we reject uh, God, his goodness, his beauty, his truth um, in the way that we live and be unrepentant unto death, which I pray that none of us will do. So uh, it sounds scary, right? But actually, uh, and being afraid um, can be a good thing, but it's not perfect. And so we want to love God. When we turn to God because we don't want to be punished, we're actually missing the point and our repentance is not perfect. Now, it's, it is it is good to, you know, not do something bad, but it's not perfect if we're doing it, we're not doing something bad or we're, uh, you know, we're doing something good because we're scared, 
right? We're scared of something to be punished, but it's better and it's more perfect when we're doing it out of love for God uh, and we move towards him. This is what it's called perfect contrition. We repent because of our love for God and not out of just a fear, right? So, And the perfect analogy for this is a child with a parent, right? So if a child doesn't do something bad because they're scared of dad because dad like beats <laughs> beats them or punishes them, well, okay, that's great that they didn't do something bad, but it's out of fear. God doesn't want that. God is love. So we are called to love and do things out of love. So what's even greater is when that child is like goes and does something out of love for their parent, right? And this is what actually fear of God means. It's just not disappointing. It's not to be scared of God, right? And that's, hell is scary because it's eternal separation from God and we can choose it. So let's turn back to God who is love, love itself and to love him, to love him and to allow his grace to transform us, right? So, and the last thing I'll say is that hell is scary, but we belong to the light as we walk in Jesus. And as St. John says, perfect love casts out fear. And he who dwells in us is greater than he who is in the world. The devil is in this world. Sin, destruction, and all these things that the devil himself, which are lies and uh, murderer from the beginning, right? That is who is in the world and that's who wants to destroy us. But he who dwells in us, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. And we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And the gates of hell shall never prevail against the church. This is the beauty of the Christian faith is that we see the reality, but we're not afraid of it because we walk in, walk in Jesus. We walk in faith. And God is a consuming fire, scripture calls him, right? So if a Christian, us, consumed in the, the fire of God's love, if we were put into hell, God's love would extinguish the fires of hell. God's love, God's consuming fire, his love, his fiery love is more powerful than the fires of hell. So Jesus has defeated the, dev- the devil, the one who tempts and stole our dignity from us. And we walk in Christ. We are not afraid. We see the reality and the scariness of, of what hell is and all the things that come along with it and the things that lead there, the road that, to destruction. That's scary, but we are not afraid because we walk in Jesus, we walk by grace. And right now, Jesus Jesus is offering us newness of life, the fullness of life in him right here now as the way, the truth, and the life. 